The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawk Fox. Here are your headlines today. Asian equities fall with Nikkei retreating from three-month highs as President Trump talks tough on China, saying he will issue the White House response to the Hong Kong news later today. We are not happy with China. We are not happy with what's happened. Uh, all over the world, people are suffering. 186 countries. All over the world, they're suffering. We're not happy. Meanwhile, President Trump looks to weaken a law that protects social media companies, saying they've exceeded their unchecked powers. Meanwhile, Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg tells CNBC there is no reason social media companies should be fact-checking posts. Different companies, but I think we've been pretty clear on, on what I think the right approach is, which is uh, that I don't think that Facebook or, or internet platforms in general should be um, arbiters of truth. France and the UK unveil further easing measures. The French government relaxes travel restrictions and allows restaurants to reopen next week, while Boris Johnson says bigger groups will be permitted to socialise from Monday. A rough ride for Renault. The French carmaker is expected to announce 15,000 job cuts as part of a major restructuring plan aimed at putting the brakes on plunging sales. We'll be speaking to the CEO a little bit later on this morning. And a shot of espresso for European markets. Coffee group JDE Peets gets ready to raise 2.6 billion euros in its fast-track IPO in Amsterdam, in Europe's biggest listing so far this year. Trump has announced he will give a press conference today to outline measures aimed at punishing China for its new Hong Kong national security law. Potential actions include tariffs, sanctions against individuals and companies, and the stripping of Hong Kong's special trade status. The U.S. leader offered no details on the announcement, but reiterated he was unhappy with China's actions. Top White House aide Larry Kudlow echoed that sentiment in a CNBC interview. China, in my judgment, is making a very big mistake in their national security move to take over Hong Kong. Secretary of State Pompeo has been outspoken on this. President Trump is also. Um, essentially, they have robbed Hong Kong of their freedom. They have broken the 50- or 60-year treaty that was signed in the mid-late 1990s. Uh, we can't let this go unnoticed, and uh, they will be held accountable for that. Let's see how markets are setting up for the trading day. You can see just a little bit of cautious green moving on to those boards on Wall Street. But markets did fall yesterday. We saw the Dow managing to drop about six-tenths of a percent, breaking a two-day winning streak. As we saw just an element of fear creep back into the stock trade after what has been a very strong rally for this week and month. In terms of the Asian markets, uh, this is how they're perched. Uh, a little bit of 
green for that Chinese market, but only barely in positive territory versus red ink splashing up for the rest of the markets from Australia down six tenths of a percent, drifting off some of the highs we've witnessed this week. Hong Kong reversing, and you can see Japan down by a quarter of a percent. It's also had a fairly decent run to its highest level since about February, so coming off some of those better levels. The Hong Kong government has come out strongly ahead of the US president's press conference, warning Washington that any sanctions would be a, quote, double-edged sword. Well, let's get out to Sherry for more. Sherry, that's the message from Hong Kong, given the surplus the United States has with the territory. What do we need to think about in terms of the retaliatory moves too from China? Because we are setting up for what looks to be a very interesting weekend. So it's all about the special status that Hong Kong enjoys with the United States. So a lot of, uh, you know, question marks over whether there's going to be a tariff imposition by Washington on Hong Kong or what kind of restrictions will there be? Uh, you know, whatever is in that press conference that the President Trump is holding on Friday. So that's really the main focus. In the meantime, as you pointed out, the Hong Kong government coming out with a strongly worded statement against this uh, potential move by Washington. A part of that says, quote, any sanctions are a double-edged sword that will not only harm the interests of Hong Kong, but also significantly those of the United States. So really goes to show how they are asking uh, Washington to butt out of this internal affairs. And of course, we're talking about big trading partnership as well. Back in 2018, the United States traded with Hong Kong. That totaled some 66 billion U.S. dollars as well. In the meantime, the market reaction, sure, uh, down 0.7 percent. So it is actually off the session lows that we saw right at the market open this morning, but not a lot of meaningful recovery from the big drop-off that we saw on Friday with that question mark over a special, of course, a status for Hong Kong. And this actually follows by uh, Chief Executive Carrie Lam, as well as the Hong Kong government's sort of campaign for this national security law pushed by China on Hong Kong. In fact, this morning, Carrie Lam uh, herself uh, wrote a letter to citizens, uh, residents of Hong Kong, and uh, that was actually carried by some of the local media reports, according to uh, some of the you know local uh, chatters, and also carried by the Hong Kong government. And really, uh, she's on the campaign to better explain the rationale of this national security law. In fact, some of the key highlights basically reiterating some of the initially highlighted points that Hong Kong really needs this to uh, safeguard the national security. Hong Kong was not able to do it alone. That's why uh, NPC had to vote and bring it uh, to uh, Hong Kong for for Hong Kong to implement. So it's going to be all about the special status that we'll be watching and, of course, that press conference on Friday by President Trump. Karen, back to you. Sherry, thank you very much for setting the scene for us. Uh, well, clearly we are watching the events close and we have been all week. And Jeff, we've been discussing the, the market reaction where investors have been buying this reopening of economies, not necessarily focused on the US-China relationship at this point. I want to get into other countries too, because uh, there was a warning early in the week from the China's foreign ministry about foreign interference. And we heard yesterday the UK effectively opening up a path to citizenship for more than 300,000 Hong Kong residents. Uh, this was a pledge from the foreign secretary to... Uh, extend visa rights to British national overseas passport holders and facilitate that resettlement here. What does that mean in the context of what we are seeing? Because much of the focus has been on that US-China relationship. Where does the UK fit in the scenario? 
Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The UK does have obligations under the uh, basic law and the joint declaration. But at this point, as we've seen China grow uh, and the UK wander off into its own political mire of Brexit, um, it it does feel as though some of those uh, responsibilities and connections with Hong Kong have been somewhat weakened. Uh, But it is worth pointing out, Karen, back in 1989, the Conservative government as was did extend UK citizenship to about 250,000 Hong Kong people. And the idea at the time was not to encourage those people to leave. The idea largely was to provide that safety net, should it be necessary, so that largely those Hong Kong citizens would stay in Hong Kong and not necessarily feel obliged to take up UK citizenship. And I have to say, by and large, that worked. And we've seen, uh, you know, several decades of successful growth in Hong Kong under the auspices of the Joint Declaration and the Basic Law. Now, clearly, the tone has changed. I think this new security law and its opaque nature and potential implementation would possibly mean uh, Dominic Raab and the UK would see a higher uptake if they do indeed extend that offer. But of course, it's it's worth bearing in mind that the population of Hong Kong these days is more like 7 million. And even if you extend an olive branch, uh, uh, a, a, a rescue route to some 300,000 uh, BNO passport holders, that is a very small number of people in the context of the size of the territory at this point. I still think this, to a certain extent, is a sideshow, though, Karen, for markets, given that the bigger focus on whether the uh, phase one trade deal will actually be scrapped and whether there'll be some kind of financial penalties levied against Chinese officials by Washington is really the main act in the drama these days. I think very little of what the UK says at this point diplomatically is going to concern anybody in Beijing. That's right. If you think about uh, some of the messaging we've already had from Kudlow suggesting that phase one trade deal maybe is less important to the president at this point. So rowing back a little bit in terms of expectations around that deal. You know, we talk about phase one. It was so hard to achieve that first uh, level of the agreement. What about phase two? It seems very unlikely that that will progress to the second round. But I think when we've heard some of the market commentary about what happens from here, there is a feeling that the dollar is in a lot of traders' sights if that phase one deal becomes uh, somewhat unraveled at this point. But uh, of course, we're going to wait for the president later on today and any reaction over the weekend from China if it decides to come up with its response. It certainly had much time to think about it as uh, President Trump has been flagging his very strong response for a number of days. But given what we've seen this week, Jeff, the markets have been so strong. If you think about the course of this month, it was a little bit stop-start as we got going in May. But the the activity, the buying we've seen from the United States to Europe this week has constituted a very decent rally for May. It does feel like we're set up to fail now. A little bit of bad news could be taken a long way by investors. Yeah, that's a tricky one, isn't it? I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, vouchsafe to make a market call at this point, but I will just um, make note of a number of, of facts. Uh, one is, um, you know, in spite of all this talk around the uh, China-US standoff, it is just worth noting for a moment that the Shanghai market has outperformed most other markets at this point. If you look at the uh, the fall and then the recovery, 
I'd say the average for most markets is probably down still at least 10% year to date. When you look at the Shanghai market specifically, uh, it's only down around 6.5% at this point. So it is recovering a little faster and maybe that's to do with China coming out of the pandemic a little faster at this stage. Who knows? But I will say uh, the um, CNBC Pro uh, service that we offer has a great piece on there talking about how the short bets against the S&P 500 have actually increased by speculators and hedge funds and that we're now seeing uh, the size of short positions levied against the index that uh, takes us back to the highs of uh, 2016 here. So clearly there is polarization going on now between many of the professional uh, traders in the market and of course a lot of the retail investors who are still piling in to ETFs uh, and, and passive equity investments. And the LIPA data just out, I think, was quite instructive around that. What it shows, um, Americans are still running down their money market accounts. And while they're putting a lot of that into fixed income investments, I presume that's a lot of retirees who've just decided to uh, throw in their hat and say, I want some security now. There are still those who are taking money out of money market funds and they are filtering it into equity related products. So I think that shows you that the tone of the market still has an element of risk on behavior about it. It remains to be seen whether those uh, professionals who are taking on short positions on the S&P will have to bide their time for the next correction or whether that will come sooner rather than later. But I buy your point. I mean, we've had an extraordinary week here where another 2 million Americans have filed for insurance uh, because they've lost their jobs. And uh, at the same time, we've almost had back-to-back 500-point gains from the Dow. Yeah, best May since 2009. It does feel as though we've got an element of Tina going on. There is no alternative, as many investors either with the dividend destruction, the yield destruction. So they're choosing their bets wisely at this point. And perhaps it explains what is almost a bullish tone coming through on this IPO market. We've been chasing the latest around Pete's for you. This is a coffee business. J.D. Pete's IPO has been priced today at 31.50 euros. This is in the middle of that 30 to 32.25 range. But if you think about a market that has been incredibly volatile, uh, the lows that we saw in March and then a recovery trade since then, you may have had the impression that the IPO market would be slammed shut. That is not the case. The window is apparently still open and uh, the advisors have managed to capture that window. So the world's number two maker of packaged coffee, and don't forget a lot of this coffee is sold in supermarkets and people have pivoted towards buying groceries and, and getting items through the supermarket that they may have done through cafes and restaurants. So perhaps that has shielded this business a little bit in this IPO, but uh, certainly captured uh, the opportunity and uh, effectively what you've had a ton of interest, apparently including from buyers like George Soros' quantum partners, uh, apparently, is uh, involved in the process. What you've had in terms of the overall quantity of shares and offer, about 14.4% of offer shares, uh, of issued share capital, I should say, from the company. They're confirming that this morning. Coming up on the show, President Trump accuses Twitter of political activism as he signs an executive order targeting social media companies. And you can catch up with all the top stories on the Squawk podcast. Be sure to check that out.
If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Well, this was a trade on Wall Street. Uh, investors initially seeing a little bit of upside as we tested some of the ranges. 25,400, though, where we closed up shop on the Dow as investors uh, closely eyed uh, the response that President Trump has been spelling out. A press conference now set for later on today in response to the Hong Kong national security law that's been proposed by China. Already we're hearing about the removal of that special status uh, given the lack of autonomy now from Hong Kong. This was outlined by Mike Pompeo, the U.S. Secretary of State this week. So investors are closely eyed what may occur on the back of those comments from President Trump. And you can see it has been, in fact, a fairly stellar level to get to this 25,000 handle anyway. 3,000 still on the S&P, even with losses in session. The market just drifting off two-tenths of a percent. Tech-heavy stocks also in focus as President Trump moved to tighten the noose around the um, measures that you're seeing for social media companies, given the uh, the labelling of his tweet from earlier this week. So investors closely eyeing different elements of tension in the market. Let's just take a look at the trading week it was actually a very strong one before some of those losses and that remains on the board you can see a pop of 3.8 percent on 900 plus points for the Dow this week two and a half percent for the S&P and a little bit less on the Nasdaq we're noting that at the start of this week when you saw the breadth of the buying started to come into the mix with some of the banking stocks retail stocks but it was fangs that were slightly left out of that equation after just how strong they've rallied and in particular if you look at the Nasdaq from some of the highs uh, to the lows what we've had this market only less than five percent off its all-time peaks so it has run hard it was a little bit of leadership handed over to the Dow and the S&P let's just contextualize what it means because the significance of this week comes into the monthly equation you can see contributing a lot of the big gains that you've seen for the month for these major indices. We are so far up more than 4% on both the Dow and S&P at the start of the month a decent one for the FANG stocks 5.3 odd percent in the green and FANG stocks are very much out in front from that earlier leadership. Meantime, President Trump has signed an executive order targeting social media companies, paving the way to weaken their legal protections. The order challenges the Communications Decency Act and could give regulators the power to pursue actions against platforms like Facebook and Twitter, holding them responsible for content posted by their users. The move is widely seen as retaliation after Twitter added fact-checking links to a pair of the president's tweets. Trump accused internet giants of having unchecked power and playing politics as he signed the document. What they choose to fact check and what they choose to ignore or even promote is nothing more than a political activism group or political activism. And it's inappropriate. My executive order calls for new regulations under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act to make it that social media companies that engage in censoring or any political conduct will not be able to keep their liability shield. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg has told CNBC he doesn't believe internet platforms should be arbiters of truth. Zuckerberg addressed President Trump's latest criticism as he outlined his company's fact-checking policy. For misinformation more broadly, um, we have a program to make sure that you know, the things that are spreading virally on Facebook aren't complete made-up hoaxes. Um, you know, so if you look at, you know, whatever the top 
thousand or 10,000 links are that are being shared in a given day. Um, you know, some of the stuff that people share on the internet is real junk and, um, and it's, it's completely made up and you don't want that stuff to be the stuff that's, that's going the most viral. Um, so we have a program where we work with independent fact checkers, um, on that, um, to make sure that things that are completely hoaxes are, are, are can, can be limited in their spread. Right. Um, but that's, you know, the point of that program isn't to like, try to parse words on is something slightly true or false. It's really to catch the worst of the worst stuff. Um, in terms of political speech, again, I think you want to give broad deference to, um, to the, to the political process and political speech. Um, but you know, there, there are lines. Mark Zuckerberg there and Jeff, just a couple of points here. I think there is certainly appetite to do something around social media and President Trump suggested that the US Attorney William Barr will begin drafting legislation immediately to regulate the companies. He also indicated there may be bipartisan support about this. Uh, Democrats uh, have flagged up some interest in regulating the social media companies. That said, the difficulty of doing so, it remains the case. If you look at the Section 230, if you start to change it and you order censorship or, or some sort of liability on these social media companies, it means that they may overreact, which means that ultimately they just take down content. They think it could be high risk. They remove the content. So you actually get less freedom of speech in the United States. And I think that's uh, probably the opposite of what uh, President Trump wanted. Um, it's a view. Uh, it's not one I particularly share, Karen. I'm not sure how making these companies responsible for what's published on their sites is going to impinge on freedom of speech. Uh, we have freedom of speech on television media in the United States. We have freedom of speech on printed media in the United States. Uh, many of these companies already host their own news websites where there is freedom of speech. And of course, freedom of speech is very much enshrined in the Constitution. I think what we're really talking about is whether these companies are being responsible corporate citizens. And, you know, it's interesting that it takes the president to get ticked off about how he's treated by Twitter for this to come about. But Remember, there's a, a bit of a backstory here. The um, live streaming of the Christchurch shootings, uh, the death of, um, of Molly Russell, uh, the suicide of Molly Russell because of um, how she felt about what she saw written about her on social media. The, the fact that um, uh, Facebook in the past handed, what, over 80 million people's information to Cambridge Analytica in a way that was considered illegal and wrong. So there's a lot of things in the past here that perhaps we don't remember as we think about President Trump's executive order. But it is also um, worth remembering, I think, uh, and perhaps this is um, quite interesting, that Thierry Breton, the uh, EU industrial uh, commissioner at, at the beginning of this week, um, made the very same point that the social media companies like Facebook do have to have some responsibility for fake news or things that are carried on their platforms that appear to be wrong. And of course, right now, the commission is drawing up its own digital legislation that could ultimately change that. For once, it appears that Europe and the United States politically may be on the same page. 
Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.